Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Good morning. Are you sleepy? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> You're not, huh? Well, have I got a message for you. <laughs> we'll see who's not sleepy. <laughs> yeah, hard, I, I, I'm not always a great gauge of this. crowd looks a little thinner today. You know, I just kind of got to wonder what the time change does. That might just be the way everybody's distributed. Good to see you here, everybody that's here, everybody who's watching at home or wherever you are on the road. Look forward to seeing you soon in person. Glad you're tuning in, glad you're staying hooked up, but there's nothing like being together as a body. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So, we are in the midst of a uh, series on the basics. The basics. And uh, last week, uh, for, you know, we, we talked about confession and baptism, and I probably should uh, have broken that into two separate messages, but... I really felt the need to connect those two things since they are historically so closely related to our salvation. And there are a number of things we are going to discuss, a number of subjects, and I have to say that they are in no particular order. Uh, uh, this is, uh, this, I'm not taking a very scientific approach to this. If I was going to approach this like a pure systematic theology, this would take a lot longer than I really want to spend on any series. But we'll see where it goes. The first message was simply what it means to be a Christian. Who are you? And the second one was, as I mentioned, on confession and baptism. Today is Communion Sunday, so I thought it would be appropriate to preach a message on communion. If you've been coming to Living Word Family Church for any length of time, you know that I typically preach a mini-sermon about communion before we receive from the Lord's table. But since this is such a universal expression of what all Christians believe, uh, but different approaches to it, you understand, but Christians have the Lord's table in common, uh, theologically anyway. It seems right to expand on it a bit and dedicate a whole sermon to it. So let's start by looking at the significant passages of the Bible that address the Lord's Supper. It appears in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to read them all because they're very, they're very similar and they're very short but I do want you to see it. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 23. It says, as they were e And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is, the, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I tell you, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And finally, in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So we see there's very little variation in the actual institution of this uh, I'm giving my body to you I'm shedding my blood for you my part is to give your part is to receive so take eat 
and drink. And so right off the bat, I see a beautiful illustration of salvation itself. Jesus provides it, we receive it. Just like our part in communion is not to provide the elements, it's to partake of them. We eat and we drink, we receive. Same with salvation. We don't provide our salvation, we don't work for it, we don't bring anything to the table except faith. And even the faith we bring to the table is a gift from God, right? So, uh, another important commonality in these passages is that Jesus is anticipating eating and drinking again, right? With us. When? At the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's something built right into Jesus instituting this memorial that also looks toward the day when we are all physically, manifestly together. We're going to come back to that when we look at the passage in 1 Corinthians. And of course, let me say, there's more to the Lord's Supper, obviously, than I can say in one message. So I'm just going to focus on a few aspects of this. I just want to offer you some observations that, again, remembering the purpose of this series is not to teach you things I think you don't know, but maybe just share some fresh angles that will make it easier for you to share with others, easier for you to answer, que answer questions that people may ask when you give an account of the hope that is in you, right? So, uh, this ordinance of communion, uh, this sacrament, if you will, right? Remember last week we talked about that, had an interesting discussion with my mom, and she was telling me, she goes, wow, you know, it's just really, she's, she wasn't disagreeing. She just says, I, I grew up with a particular meaning of the word sacrament in my mind, and so now when I hear it, it's something I really kind of struggle with because a sacrament in her mind with some of her background, was this is something that God does to save you step by step. You have to do this. It's a don't want to speak it, of it in crass terms, but it's a particular hoop that must be jumped through, something that has to be checked off, uh, rather than, than the simple definition which I offered last week, which was simply a means of grace. All right, It is something that is sanctified by God, and it's something that he uses to impart grace to us. There is a special manifestation of his spirit when we are baptized, when we receive communion. So, uh, there's something certainly important about this, and I want you, by the end of this service, to approach the Lord's table in a way that I think will make it more meaningful to you, more satisfying to you, and ultimately more glorifying to God. So, I believe the central truth of the Lord's Supper is this. Let me start with this. Religions, generally speaking, I'm talking world religions. They offer guidance and direction in the form of rules, goals, warnings, wisdom, behavior, judgments, rewards, etc. And many of them, though not all, uh, present an individual or perhaps a group of individuals who have achieved a certain position of authority or been elevated to a position of authority uh, in order to guide people toward a certain degree of perfection or holiness or maturity with respect to these beliefs. And I'm thinking now of the Swami or the Guru in Hinduism, the Prophet in Islam, uh, the monks and the Lamas of Buddhism. None of these claim to be God or gods. Uh, Buddhism, in fact, as I think I mentioned last week, is generally an atheistic religion, and yet they present their Lama and their monks as guides to spiritual maturity and holiness. But there is a widespread misunderstanding, as you well know, that these differences are simply cultural, and that these differences are minor in the long run. All roads lead to truth. All roads lead to God, right? All religions, and, and we could all, even people who say that, can point out bizarre little cults and evil groups of people who claim to be a religion, that they wouldn't include in this. But that all major religions teach the same thing, right? Be good, be kind, love your fellow man, care for those in need. Peace is good, war is bad. There's a big problem with that, of course. And that is, they clearly don't all teach the same thing. People who say that, you kind of got to wonder what they know about the religions they're speaking so well of. There's an interesting, there's a poem, kind of a poem, kind of a free verse thing written by a guy named... Uh, Steve Turner, and the name of it is Creed, and it includes this stanza. It's worth reading the whole thing, so if you want to jot that down, Creed by Steve Turner, you can look this up. But here's, a pa here's one stanza uh, from that uh, poem. It says, 
we believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one that we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. <laughs> Another problem with the idea that all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to wisdom and truth, is that history, uh, all the evidence of history points to the conclusion that none of these systems work. All of the efforts, all of the discipline, all of the study and the devotion have failed to produce even one perfect individual, let alone a society or the world. And Jesus somehow gets lumped together with these other religious leaders, and his ideas get mixed up with other religious ideas. And uh, his teachings are often held in high regard, even by people who don't identify as Christian believers. How, I don't know. I really do wonder, just like I wonder, there are people who say, well, all these religions basically teach the same thing. How could they say that if they've actually looked at these other religions? Same thing, if they, if they hold the teachings of Jesus in high regard and don't believe in him, I wonder what they think Jesus taught. Uh, I was at Sam's last week looking at a new phone plan. I don't know how many of you go to Sam's, but they've usually, usually got a guy standing there, at the, a guy or a girl, standing at the kiosk trying to get you to sign up, not to switch phone companies usually, but just to get your phone service through Sam's, offer a good deal on phones. And we've been wanting to do that for a while, and I had a little time, so I was talking to this guy, super nice kid, came over from Indianapolis to uh, uh, hopefully uh, up, up the numbers for the particular company he was working for. And uh, he was on hold, punching in a bunch of information for me. And, and he was so very friendly, very talkative. So I said, so uh, you, are you uh, making chit-chat? You, you're from India. Is that where you were raised? Yep, I was raised in India. In, Indy, not India, Indi uh, Indianapolis. I said, did you go to church anywhere? He said, I used to. He said, I was raised a Methodist. I said, you don't go anywhere now? He says, ah, sometimes. He goes, I'm just not, I don't really, I have a hard time picking one to go to. He says, uh, you know, all religions, you know, they all teach the same thing anyway, right? It's all good. They all, we're all heading the same place, right? And I said, no offense, man, but you haven't really looked into these other religions, have you? He says, what do you mean? So we, we talked a little bit about this. Some of the things I was saying here, I said, well, it's just an easy thing to say. That all, it's like saying well, every book tells the same story. Well, you wouldn't say that if you'd read every book or if you'd read two books, right? Uh, so he asked me what my background was. I said, funny you mentioned that. I was raised a Methodist too. And I learned a lot and I enjoyed church. But my life didn't change until I met Jesus because it isn't about what church you were raised in. It isn't about what, uh, what creed you recited. It's about meeting the person of Jesus Christ, Right? And uh, then the fire fell, and Sam's itself caught on fire. And no, no, there's. Here's the thing. Look at John chapter six, and we'll be, we'll begin in verse fifty-three. John six fifty-three. Then Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day." For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now, when we talk about difficult passages in the Bible... Uh, especially in the New Testament. This one ranks right up near the top because we read that even those who were there hearing it in this day left because they found this passage very hard to swallow. If you And it wasn't like he just casually mentioned, uh, yeah, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and then started talking. He kept saying it again and again and rephrasing it so they couldn't miss the meaning. And there were, there were, he had many followers, many disciples. And at that point, they said, nah, can't do this anymore. Who can listen to this? And many of them 
walked away. And he turned to the 12 at that point and says, what about you guys? You going to leave too? And you probably get tired of hearing me say this whenever we talk about this passage. I find it so significant that they didn't say, no, why would we leave you? We love everything you say. We're not offended by these guys. No, their response was a little more subtle. It was like, uh, where else could we go? Now, I, I understand they're expressing devotion to him. They had walked with him closely enough and for long enough to say, we know you have words of life but they didn't pretend to understand or appreciate this particular hard saying any more than the ones who left. It was almost like, we, are, we can't leave because we're trapped, but boy, we wish you hadn't said that too. <laughs> and we know he's not advocating cannibalism, right? And it makes more sense if you read this whole chapter or this whole passage and we talked about this extensively on wednesday night uh, some time ago it's probably been years now it all kind of runs together but you see that this conversation and teaching took place soon after the feeding of the five thousand do you remember this he's teaching the people five thousand and he feeds them miraculously this was what, a large miracle that jesus did and then uh, later, he goes over to the other side of the sea, and, where, and the people that he fed actually followed him over there. It's really funny when you read it, because it looks like they got there and then pretended to just bump into Jesus. Oh, you're over here on the other side of the lake too? What are you doing here, Lord? Why did they follow him? Because they were so impacted with his teaching, not saying they weren't impacted with his teaching, but they wanted bread. Free food, again. And so they listen to him, and they're talking to him about the signs. Oh, we believe, but we would like a sign. What sign could we think of? We'll try to suggest one to you, Lord. Well, our fathers, when they were in the wilderness, ate manna that God provided from heaven. Just happened to be another food miracle they were looking for. And so Jesus counters, and I'm giving you a very short version of this. Yeah, and your fathers died in the wilderness too. They ate miraculously provided bread from heaven, and they died. I'm offering you something that if you feast on, you will never die. Oh, give us this bread, Lord. It's me. It's my flesh and my blood. And they're like, yeah! What are you talking about? What was he talking about? He's offering them something that would not just feed them for a day, but impart eternal life. Again, these Jews who followed him were referencing something, a miracle, but it was a miracle that happened six days a week for 40 years. And he's saying, I'm offering you something that will not just feed you every day and you need a new miracle the next day. This will impart eternal life. And what was he offering? Was it a new ritual? Was it a series of works? Was it a teaching? No, he offered his body and his blood. And again, it wasn't cannibalism he was talking about. And it's important to our discussion to understand what he is saying because what he says here about eating his flesh and drinking his blood certainly prefigures the Lord's Supper. But he's not talking about the ritual of communion specifically at this time. He's talking about the reality, the truth that communion reflects. And what he's saying is actually pretty straightforward. What we need for eternal life is Jesus. And Jesus is not an idea. He is not a set of principles. Jesus is not the one who points the way. Jesus is is the way, the truth, and the life. It is Jesus himself. We will do a series, listen to me, we're going to do a, uh, not a series, a teaching on the role of works in the life of the Christian as part of this basics. So don't think that I'm min minimizing for one second the importance of Christian behavior. And of course, Jesus' teachings are the foundation of those works. But Jesus himself is saying that the center of Christianity is Jesus himself the person of Jesus Christ. How do I say this? We might say something like, uh, you can forget all about me. 
you won't remember my face. You might not even remember my name, but you will remember the building that I built or the school that I established or the art I produced or the ideas that I imparted to humanity that somehow changed the course of history. If we were the founder of something or a leader in our field, Jesus is really saying nearly the opposite that even more important than knowing his teachings is knowing him. And by emphasizing his flesh and blood, he's driving home the point, which is cemented in history uh, by the written word, that he is a real person. This is super important when it comes to understanding and appreciating the work of the cross, because it wasn't an idea or a body of teaching that hung on the cross. It was the man, Jesus Christ. There are, and rightly so, a great many songs and hymns about celebrating and uh, reverencing the blood of Christ. It should be this way. It is the blood that saves us, it's the blood that washes us clean, and it's the blood that makes the second birth possible. Jesus said in the passages we've already read today, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That new covenant, well, we'd really need to do a whole teaching on what a covenant is. But uh, in simplest terms, it's a contract. It's an agreement. And the short version of the old covenant is basically, look, if you will do these things, I will do this for you. Keep the law, perform these rituals, make these sacrifices. I will bless you, I will heal you, I will protect you, I will prosper you. Keep the law and you'll be blessed. Do these things and you'll be healed. And we've talked again and again about this. The old covenant's purpose at the end of the day was just to show us how utterly incapable we are of keeping up our end of that bargain. We can't pay the bill because our problem is that we are sinful by nature and sin brings death. The only way to gain life, eternal life, is to find payment for that sin. All sin must be judged. I mean judged as in punished. And the new covenant says, I'm paying your way. The life is in the blood. I will die. I will shed my blood on your behalf. If you will accept that payment, you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will be made righteous. So my sin, your sin, were imputed to Jesus. Our sin was laid on Jesus and it was judged in Jesus, right? It was judged at the cross. The life of Jesus in his blood was poured out as payment for your forgiveness, for my forgiveness. So again, the blood, the blood, the blood. How interesting is it then that Jesus made a point both in his declaration in John chapter 6 and in his institution of the Lord's Supper of talking about his body. Did his broken body save us from sin? His shed blood saved us from sin. Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But Jesus made a point of telling those assembled in John chapter 6, eat my body and drink my blood. This is my body which is given to you, which is broken for you. Take, eat, this is my body. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now what's more important? Well, the blood. Where's our salvation? The blood. But yet, Jesus, in every one of these instances, talked about the body. A couple of things to think about. When God created mankind, what did he do first? He formed man from the dust of the earth. What did he make first? A body. And then what did he do? He breathed into Adam's nostrils and man became a living being. And it was good, right? 
there's a, uh, over the centuries, there have been groups that have splintered off from Orthodox Christianity that have considered the body to be nothing more than a huge burden, a large uh, hurdle, uh, a hindrance to our spiritual development. That our bodies actually have no part of our spiritual inheritance. And that is precisely what many con congregations believed in the early church. Paul himself had to combat this in his writings. Corinth was notoriously carnal. All right? These were believers, and it wasn't all of them, but a good number of them were participating regularly in uh, ritual pagan sex parties because they were convinced that nothing they did in the flesh had anything to do with their spiritual sal salvation. Christianity, all that was all spiritual. Nothing they did in their bodies mattered. And so Paul, uh, he certainly tells us in his writings, and it's God, remember, God speaking through Paul, writing through Paul and the others, other authors of the New Testament, that, that uh, our bodies are, they do have proclivities and, and propensity towards sin, and therefore our bodies must be put down, they must be disciplined, they must be trained. But it is also Paul through whom God teaches us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that make my body good or bad? My body needs trained because of its propensity to sin, but my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost if I'm saved, if I'm born again. Sounds like a good thing to me. And we also read, mostly in the writings of Paul, when he describes the general resurrection, what's he say about our bodies? that they'll cease to exist? That we are going to uh, trade them in for new ones? No, he says our bodies will be changed. Not exchanged, but changed. That this corruptible must put on incorruption. That this mortal must put on immortality. This is a good body. Your bodies are good. God created us, spirit, soul, and body, and he will redeem us, spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus, who gave us the Lord's Supper, was indeed spirit, soul, and body. And that the Lord's Supper is a reminder that God cares for our bodies as he cares for our spirit. And that helps us understand what Paul was talking about in the passage we most often refer to when we partake of the Lord's table. And uh, we'll read the long version of it today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17 this time. Uh, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you do, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, and sick among you, and many sleep, meaning have died. 
For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of this. I just want you to see it in some kind of context. The first thing is their general approach, which is a lazy, disrespectful approach to the Lord's table. They were treating it as kind of a picnic in the church. And it wasn't even a pitch-in because everybody brought what they wanted to eat. And some would eat in front of others who had nothing or very little. Some would drink so much they got drunk without any regard to what anybody else was doing. Remember the Music Man musical? Anybody a fan of that? Remember the song, Iowa Stubborn? Oh, there's nothing halfway about the Iowa way. We treat you when we treat you, which we may not do at all. Remember that? There's a great line in there where it says, What the heck? You're welcome. Join us at our picnic. You can have your fill of all the food you bring yourself. And uh, this is kind of what was happening here in Corinth. And, and, and they're calling it the Lord's Supper. But it wasn't. Paul's the one who's setting this in order, saying this isn't about you eating and enjoying the food and the drink. This is a ceremony. This is an ordinance that the Lord commanded and instituted for a particular reason, and you are approaching it all wrong. This, when it talks about an unworthy manner, that's what it means. I think sometimes when we read that passage uh, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. And for this reason, many are sick among you, many of you sleep. We picture God sort of hovering over the Lord's Supper, watching for somebody who's eating and drinking, who doesn't deserve to be participating, so he can smack him down, make him sick, kill him. This is not what this verse is saying at all. In fact, it says when God judges us, so when we are judged, the Lord chastens us so that what? So that we're not condemned. This is the purpose of the Lord's judgment. What, so how, in what way are we eating and drinking judgment to ourselves? It says right there, by not discerning what? The Lord's body. Body. Interesting again, the emphasis on the body. I think that this passage speaks more forcefully to the issue of physical healing than perhaps anything else because of what it says there in verse 29. What is the judgment that we eat and drink to ourselves? It is the failure to receive the full benefits of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Because you fail to appreciate everything involved in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, you are robbing yourself of the benefits of that broken body and shed blood. You hear what I'm saying? If you don't appreciate what his broken body purchased for you, if you don't appreciate what his shed blood purchased for you, then you approach the Lord's table in a completely unworthy manner. And the judgment you uh, reap is a direct result of not knowing what you're doing when you come to the Lord's table. It's like saying, I don't understand. I know I've heard there's money in the bank, so I went to the bank, and I hung around for an hour, and I left the bank, and I still have no money. Well, you've got to know a couple things. You've got to know your account number, right? You've got to know how to access the money. It's your money. Somebody tells you there is money, there, your money's in that bank, but you've got to know how to access it. All of this stuff, all of the benefits of our salvation are ours. We do nothing to earn them. We do have to know how to access them by faith. And one of the things we do is come to the Lord's table and we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. We have to think about what that means for us. We certainly we come, we remember the shed blood, and most of us have a better idea of what that means for us. We fail to recognize the high regard that God has for our bodies because we fail to recognize that his body did not need to be broken for us to be saved from our sin. 
Only His blood needed to be shed. I think we can agree on that. Uh, And if you can show me something I'm missing, obviously, that His body had to be broken for me to be forgiven of my sin, I want to see it. But other than that, I'll tell you what, His body was broken for my healing. His blood was shed for my salvation. His body was broken for our healing. This is reminiscent of Psalm 103 when it's recounting, bless the Lord of my soul and forget none of his benefits. What's the first two things it says? Who forgives all your sin and heals all your diseases. It's following that same line. God doesn't make you sick because you take communion wrong. We fail to receive healing because we fail to see the emphasis God put on providing for it at the cross. As we wrap this up in praise and worship team, you can take your time, but uh, come on up here. In the passage that we usually read, uh, Paul more or less repeats what Matthew, Mark, and Luke say. And says, as often as you drink it, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he adds this. As he says, he received from the Lord. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we take communion, we are reminding ourselves, we need to be reminding ourselves, that what nourishes us, what sustains us, what saves us, is nothing more and nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ. It's not our works. It's not even his teachings. It is him, his body, his blood. He was and is real. When people say, you know, even if Jesus wasn't a real person, even if he didn't really exist, or even if he existed but he didn't really die and rise from the dead, we can still respect his teachings that that do you absolutely no good and do absolutely nobody else any good. People will die, and people will will go to hell. They will miss heaven if they miss the fact that it is Jesus himself, his real life, his real death, and his real resurrection is the only hope of salvation. Because that's that's the only basis on which he offers us hope for eternal life. When we take communion, we are doing something right now, in the present, to remember the past. What is it? Specifically, that Jesus gave his body to be broken, and he shed his blood, and he died for us. We are doing something, when we take communion, we are doing something right now, in the present, to remember the past. That's what it says. As often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death. When we take communion... Right now, in the present, we are doing something to remind ourselves that he is coming back. Points to the past, to his death. Points to the future, to his return. You show the Lord's death till he comes. You've got the past, you've got the present, you've got the future. Right before we uh, go ahead and stand for just a minute, if you can. I'm going to have you sit back down in a minute. When we take communion, uh, before we partake this morning, I want, to, uh, I want to offer you an invitation to join us at the Lord's table. Those of us who are saved, those of us who are born again, we are seated there already. As I mentioned, this passage we read does not teach that eating the bread and drinking the cup will condemn you if you are not saved. That's not what it's talking about. But it is certainly an ordinance that has been scripturally reserved for believers, confessing believers. This is something that is given to us, the church. We're told to observe this. We're told to to partake of his body and his blood and to remember him when we do. Therefore, if you are not a believer... We urge you not to partake. It's okay. We're still glad you're here, any of you, all of you. And if you are a believer, uh, I'll tell you this, we celebrate what's called open communion in this church, meaning 
If you're a believer, it doesn't matter if you're a member here or not, you're welcome at the Lord's table. We'll all feast at the same table. But very quickly, for anybody in here, when I say the word believer, I mean this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, uh, we read this, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, I mentioned to this guy, and I wasn't slamming the Methodist church. I appreciate the Methodist church, and I know there are born-again believers in many, many churches. Dear brothers and sisters, all I meant by that was it wasn't Sunday school that saved me. It wasn't uh, hymns that saved me. It was an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that saved me. Okay? So I don't know what everybody's story is, but if you are trusting if you believe you're heaven-bound, if you believe you're a believer, believe you're a Christian based on a ritual like a, a confirmation or reaching a certain age or simply reciting something, if you're basing that confidence on anything other than I have confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. If you've committed to him as Lord, that means you have committed to him. He's boss. You put him in charge. If you, are, if you have not made that commitment, that's what I'm inviting to you. When I say I'm inviting you to the Lord's table, I'm inviting anybody in here who has yet to make that commitment to make it today. That you would raise your hand and say, today is my day, Pastor Scott. Today is the day I become a believer and I will join you at the Lord's table. Does anybody desire to be saved in this place today? And looking around, I don't see any hands and I believe that is because everybody in here has made that decision. If you haven't and you want to talk some more, I would love to talk to you after service. If you've made, God, I'd do it. I just haven't answered every question yet. I will do my best uh, to open your eyes to the things that God has spoken to us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that alone can save us. And it's my prayer that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would convict them of a need, of their need for salvation today. Convince them and draw them to yourself as only you can. If there is salvation that is needed in this room today, Lord God, it's my prayer that it occurs today. As you've said, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Thank you, Lord, for saving souls in Jesus' name. Anybody need to be saved today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Now, as we prepare to receive, uh, everybody, does anybody need... Uh, the elements, we've got the self-contained uh, cup and wafer here. Does anybody uh, want to take communion who hasn't? Does everybody have it? Wait, raise your hand if you don't, and the ushers will deliver that to you. We are, as always, going to take the bread first. This is the moment that I was referring to that I think that God, this wasn't, that wasn't part of my written message. It occurred to me, I believe God laid it on my heart during the praise and worship service. You know, this is a church that believes in healing. I mean, believe it is God's will to heal today. I know that all believers are going to be free of every sickness and every disease and every injury and every physical malady when we're in heaven. But Jesus expressed God's will on earth by healing all who came to him in faith. And I, th I think God... We see it in Scripture that God manifests that and works that in many ways. Sometimes Jesus told somebody to go and do something. Go wash. Uh, go show yourself to the priests. Often he laid hands on the sick. But ultimately, it is about receiving Jesus as our healer. And I hope you understand, maybe a little more clearly today, that, it is his, that his broken body serves that purpose. He is recognizing it's not just our spirits that have need, that our physical bodies, which God makes and made and loves, that he promises to redeem us too. 
as we mentioned last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, doesn't mean we're not going to die. That enemy hasn't been defeated yet. It's been defeated, but not put under. We will all, barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will all have to walk through that door. But sickness doesn't need to rob us of a long life, doesn't need to rob us of a full life, because Jesus' body was broken to redeem us from that. So I'm going to pray right before we eat this, but I want you, as you receive it, as you eat this bread, say, you can say it out loud if you want. You can just say, thank you, Father, for healing me. Receive it as healing. It's just faith. There's nothing, this isn't a magic pill. This is a token of our faith in God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for going and allowing your body to be broken. Spilling your blood, yes. Thank you for those stripes that you took on your back. For those wounds you received in your hands and feet and side. Thank you for giving your body to be broken so that ours could be made whole. Thank you, God, for providing healing in the new covenant that you've purchased with the blood. Thank you for the body. Thank you for the bread in Jesus' name. Take the cup. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and pouring your blood out as a sin offering. Father, we know that every good promise that you make to the righteous only belongs to us because we've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. It is because of the shed blood of Christ that we don't have to crawl before you but that we can come boldly before the throne of grace for help in time of need, that all the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus because of the blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cup in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Hold on to those or give them to your parents and uh, we'll have a a place for you to toss those on your way out of the sanctuary. I'm talking about the empty cups here. Hope we see, uh, I hope every every time we take communion we can see that this isn't a ritual that we complete. This really is an act of worship. Another act of worship is the bringing of tithes and offerings. Uh, And I know we've got the, uh, the buckets set up outside and many of you, most of you, Uh, drop those uh, tithes and offerings on your way in, which is totally fine. I actually look forward to soon returning to passing the plate because I think it is an act of worship, and therefore I think it's appropriate to set a time aside during our corporate worship to worship him with our gifts and to do it in the service. But please know uh, that God sees your faithfulness, he knows your faithfulness, and he receives your offerings and your tithes as what they are indeed, worship and obedience. I actually forgot last week because, you know, God had messed up our service order a couple times. I actually forgot to even uh, receive the offering uh, last week, and yet you guys still brought your offerings, and that's a sign of faithfulness. That's a sign of people who understand uh, the blessings that God specifically promises those who honor him in the tithe and the offering. So if you need an envelope this morning, again, those are out there, and I know if you need one, you probably already grabbed one, but if you you brought cash and you need an envelope, raise your hand, the ushers will get it to you. Checks get made out to Living Word Family Church, or LWFC, and since I forgot last week, I forgot to mention it was Mission Sunday, I'm assuming you saw the email, but uh, if you normally write a separate check out for missions, you can still do that today. And, uh, Missions, missions, missions. What was I going to say? Day BB coming next month. Uh, be sure to plan on uh, being a blessing to him when he comes about a month from now. Are you ready to give this morning? I'm going to pray over this offering, and then uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to leave. I'm gonna <laughs> no, we'll dismiss. We'll dismiss. Pastor Mike will be up here, I believe, to pray for anybody who needs a prayer of agreement, faith for anything, and then the ushers will dismiss you. Uh, by row. Listen, 
Sorry, I want to keep dragging this out. Not even 11 o'clock yet, and we're, we're, almost, we're almost out. But let me say, uh, we, we, we still have the masking uh, thing going on. We, we prefer that we, well, we ask that you wear a mask until you're seated, and, and then you put it on when you leave. We really stressed early on that we don't want you hanging out in here and mingling. Just head on out to fellowship. But you, you know what? Most of you in here are grown-ups, and you kids, you're under the, the authority of grown-ups. If you want to hang out, hang out. This is, this is really up to you. But try not to get in the way of people who want to get on out, make space for people. I think we understand that the, the risk, the crisis is winding down. I never wanted to treat it like it was nothing, but I never wanted to treat it like the plague either. We've tried to strike this balance where we respect people's health concerns and that we respect the guidance of those who've been tasked with protecting us. Uh, we've never been a fearful people, have we? Uh, but uh, make your own decisions for you and your family, but do them with the wisdom and with uh, prayer. Or do them with the wisdom that comes through spending time in prayer with the Lord. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this service. Thank you for every way you've spoken to us, everything you've imparted to us, every way you've blessed us this morning and changed us this morning. We thank you now, as always, for the opportunity to give into the work of your kingdom. We believe your word, Lord, that says as we obey you with the tithe, as we bring our offerings to you, Lord, you will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there is not room enough to contain, that you will receive what we have given and that you will multiply it back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Father, it will be given unto us. Why? So that we can give again more and continuously, more generously into the work of your kingdom Help us to see this always as an act of worship because the time is short, Lord God, and everything we invest in your kingdom is going to pay dividends in eternity. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.